0: You are listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I am your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, and my goal is to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the show. I have a very cool episode that I'm going to bring you guys today. Um, but before we get into it, just kind of catching up on all things over here. So, um, by the time this episode is airing, I have finished my little trial run that I did with wearing a continuous glucose monitor, which was absolutely amazing. I talked about that in last week's podcast episode. So I'm not diabetic. I'm not pre-diabetic. I'm not insulin resistant. Like I definitely think that I used to be, but I really wanted that data and, um, this podcast is airing a week after I actually did a live on my Instagram talking about Um, what I found and I was, I went live with my friend, Danielle. She was on the podcast before we talked all about how she reversed PCOS by getting her blood sugar under control. So that can be found on my IGTV. I can also link it in the show notes for you guys too. If you haven't taken a listen to that, um, I'm sharing kind of all my experiences and what I found and so much of what really was kind of more of my issue was not even diet. It was so much more lifestyle and stress, which is crazy. Um, so, uh, definitely make sure that you guys take a look at that. Um, before we get into the episode today, I just wanted to share a review on the podcast and it's rated five stars. So knowledgeable. I love listening to this podcast because it's everything I want to know without having to read or do the research myself. I have had more energy, clearer skin, and less mood issues by listening to her tips. Well, thank you so much, Grace, for that awesome review. Um, you know, I definitely, definitely love giving you guys a bunch of of tips so that you guys can kind of try things out and do what you want. I had a really cool message last week saying, you know, I love how you bring things in a, in a non-dogmatic and, you know, non-opinionated way. You just, you know, you, you present the information and then it encouraged her to go do her own research and kind of make her own judgment about what I was doing. And that's exactly what I want is I want to bring you guys what I'm finding and then because we all are so bio individual, I want you guys to try it out for yourself. Right. So I think that that's super, super important. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I love reading those reviews. I love getting them. So thank you guys so, so much. That is definitely the currency of how we can help this podcast grow. So I just, I'm so thankful for any review, for all the messages, for all the shares. I mean, it really means so, so much to me. So thank you guys so much. Um, so definitely make sure you check out my continuous glucose live that I did. I said, like I said, that's posted on my Instagram. I can put that in the show notes for you guys. And, um, I really want to introduce today's guest, Michelle Hearn. She is a registered dietitian and, um, she has over 11 years of experience as a clinical acute care dietitian. Um, she loves, she's really into like psychiatric care and um, outpatient care. Um, but she really saw such a a dialogue that, that didn't make sense to her. She really dealt with a lot of, um, diabetic patients. And what she found is that these diabetic patients were really on these high, co- high carbohydrate, low fat, um, and then sugar and moderation nutrition guidelines. And she was finding that her patients were getting worse and worse and worse. So, um, we definitely talk about that. She is the author of a new book called the dietitian's dilemma. I have a copy and I cannot wait to dive into it. Um, because she really was seeing that her patients were not getting any better following the standard American diet which gosh the standard American diet I could have a whole podcast on that which this pretty much is um she's amazing she's also super badass she's an ultra marathon runner um and i think it is a really cool chat that we have about her being an ultra marathon runner and um the fact that she you know had tried carb loading before and she had tried high carb diets but they just didn't really work for her and she's really more more almost of a carnivore type runner, which I think is really interesting. I've never, I've heard of people doing more keto style with running because you tap into more fat stores instead of carb, but with her being a little bit more carnivore ish, um, you know, she's not full carnivore and, and we get into that, but I think that that was seriously so so interesting to me um we had some really cool conversations around how to fuel for athletics how she feels for her runs and you know being an athlete myself this so resonated with me and really kind of made me go down memory lane to see how my diet has so changed and although i'm not a competitive college athlete anymore like i was previously i definitely still take my training very seriously and and that's always going to be a huge part of my life and so it's so interesting to see how my fuel has kind of transformed over the years, and we definitely get into that. We get into all that kind of stuff, but um, you can check her out um, on Instagram. Run, eat, meet, repeat. I, all that her links will be in the show notes. Her new book, um, The Dietitian's Dilemma. Like I said, you guys will be seeing me post and share about it. I cannot wait to dive into that. Um, but she is she posts a wealth of knowledge on social media, YouTube, all that kind of awesome stuff. I cannot wait to get into today's conversation. I'm super excited to see what you guys think about it. And without further ado, enjoy today's interview. All right, you guys, I have an awesome guest today. I have dietitian Michelle Hearn. Welcome to the show today. I'm so excited to have you. Hey, thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. So I am, I was super intrigued when I ran across your page because, you know, you're a very like meat and animal centric dietitian. And so much of what I was seeing was kind of going against typical things that I see from (laughs) dietitians, which sometimes I, I don't agree with a lot of the things, but I really was drawn to your page because I was like, wow, you're really talking about so many, so many things that, that are really important. And, um, Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you know my my story of becoming a dietitian really starts like you know way back. I had a pretty serious eating disorder when I was 12. I was know um, I was anorexic. I was about five feet tall and 57 pounds. So I went wow. to in treatment for a few months and was able to recover. I actually had a pretty pretty bad poor prognosis, but you know was able to work through that and recover. And I really, I knew nutrition was important and powerful, but I, you know, I wasn't exactly sure, like, okay, where do I want to take this? But I decided, okay, I want to be a dietitian. Mm -hmm. And as I went through, you know, my um, dietitian degree, there was a lot of things that I really questioned that I didn't necessarily agree with specifically when I got into the dietetic internship. Uh, For example, you know, if you're in, let's say, a traumatic car accident and you have to be tube fed if you flip over the two feeding to see what ingredients are in there, I mean, it's the same thing that I was tube fed, you know, when I was 12, like they haven't changed in 25 years. The first ingredients are, you know, high fructose corn syrup, corn syrup, maltodextrin, soy protein, canola oil. And I would just ask, you know, I wouldn't, I would ask questions as a dietetic student and just say, Hey, is this, is this really the best thing for someone who's been in a car accident? And uh, we go see a patient who has diabetes, you know, a very obese patient, and if you have type two diabetes, you can no longer tolerate carbohydrates. So right. I would just ask, well, why are we giving these people 75 grams of carbs a meal and dosing them with insulin? Wouldn't it make more sense if we just don't give them carbohydrates? And so I was immediately pegged as this is kind of difficult dietetic student. You know, what are you doing? Why are you asking all these questions? Um, and so, yeah, you know, I was really taught kind of that traditional nutrition dogma, you know, that we need whole grains they're the base of the food pyramid. All foods can fit, sugar in moderation. And then once I became a dietitian, I mean, I just experienced such an incredible disconnect. You know, you would prescribe these guidelines. I would tell people like, hey, you know, whole grains, you know, lean protein with just a little bit of fat. And people were not getting better. In fact, people were getting worse. Often I'd see patients who were diabetic come back in with um, a lot more problems. And, you know, in a hospital setting, you know, we're not just seeing patients that it's like, oh, Mary's a little overweight. I mean, I've seen wounds down to the bone, you know, pressure ulcers. I've seen, you know, missing teeth, dementia, strokes and heart disease. People as young as, you know, in their early uh, 40s. I've seen, you know, you name it, amputations from diabetes. I've seen patients that are so overly fat but under muscled that they can't even walk a few steps to the bathroom I've seen, I've worked in two different psychiatric facilities and our current nutrition guidelines say that it's okay to give psychiatric patients uh, 42 teaspoons of sugar a day is the current standard. Uh, and so, you know, once again, I would question, is this really the best way that we can do things? And you start to become really disheartened because, you know, as a, as a dietitian, and this is, I like to also say, I want to make sure I acknowledge that anyone who goes into healthcare, doctors, nurses, dieticians, we go into help. <laughs> Nobody goes in thinking like this is broken. I'm gonna hurt people or I'm not gonna help people, right? Right. But I would get this list, I'd get, you know, 20 patients a day, and you only get about five minutes to see somebody. And I was told our only goal is they just need to get protein and calories. So doesn't matter where it comes from, it can be a sugary meal replacement drink, it can be jello, it can be, you know, I am uh, most people are surprised to hear that if you're a type two diabetic, the hospital I worked at, you can order a caramel macchiato, potato chips, and, um, a bagel for breakfast. If you want, you just get insulin. So I, I really struggled with this and I yeah. struggled with the, you know, and then, but unfortunately, you know, to become a dietitian is not necessarily a cheap endeavor. You know, you go through your four-year degree, you get your, um, you know, go through your internship and, you know, you have your student loans. So all of a sudden, a lot of, I had a lot of dietitians to me. I'm kind of stuck. Like, what do I do? You know, and I tried to I brought these concerns to my, my clinical directors and said, I, I, help me. I, I don't think this is right. I don't think this is helping people. And I was basically told, like, look, you know, you're, you're doing great. All you have to do is see patients and chart. As long as we get insurance reimbursement, we're fine. Things are fine. So it became pretty clear, like it was not really my goal to help people. It was really my goal to just kind of keep checking boxes. And so that was hard. And that was, um, you know, I had a lot of a lot of challenges with that. Yeah. But honestly, it wasn't until I lost my own personal health that I really, really shifted how I looked at nutrition and viewed nutrition. And that was kind of, I, I could no longer work in the hospital system after that.
0: Yeah. So so I feel like we all kind of have that like epiphany moment where like as, as healthcare providers and practitioners and coaches and whatnot, we all kind of go through like our own journey that really makes us passionate about what we do. And I know that I can speak to that. And so with your journey, I know that you had kind of touched on that you had gone through the eating disorder when you were 12. And, um, so did you have like another personal journey? Like as you were a practicing dietitian, like talk about that. What was that like? Was that similar to the journey when you were 12 or was that different? Talk
1: about Completely that different. Bit. Yeah. Okay. Completely different. Cause yeah, when I was 12, like I basically just had to have weight restoration, right? Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, the whole goal, was you know eating as much as possible gaining weight getting you know weight restored and I was told that you know what you will never fully recover from your eating disorder you will always have anxiety you'll always have racing thoughts around food you will always struggle and I was okay with that it's like okay this is my lot in life I'm always gonna struggle I'm always gonna have you know throughout my um early early adolescence and adulthood I mean even had periods of pretty severe depression you know up to suicidal ideation but I was like I it's and that's what I thought my life would would be. So I just, this is what I'm going to have to deal with. And then I um, I became an athlete too. I became a long distance runner. Mm-hmm. And I ran 12 marathons, you know, qualified for Boston 12 times. But I really wanted to, um, I wanted to qualify for the Olympic trials. Oh,
0: so awesome. to do that,
1: thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and I, I had no ambitions of like actually making it to the Olympic Games. Like I'm not, you know, fair Goucher or Shlane Flanagan. But I, I wanted to, to race that race. And so to do that, you have to run two hours and 45 minutes. And I've run two hours and 54 minutes. So I was kind of slowly, you know, taking time off uh, my best time. And then in 2019, I was just really putting in the miles and training. And then all of a sudden I noticed I wasn't recovering well from workouts. Like my muscles were hurting more and um, I was waking up in the middle of the night with kind of weird aches and pains and just having lots of bloating. My anxiety got worse during that time. Yeah, and I didn't know what to do. You know, I, I actually reached out to two different sports dietitians and said, "Hey, this is what I'm doing. I was eating about 350 grams of carbohydrates at that time." Okay, and, and did
0: that matter? Like, what carbs? Like, did it matter what source it came from, or was like just hit these numbers? That's all that matters.
1: That was basically. I mean, for for me at that time, I, I was pretty focused on whole foods. I mean, I was eating a lot of sweet potatoes, a lot of oatmeal. Um, You know, we certainly had some like gluten free pasta. We didn't really eat gluten, but. Uh, you know, I certainly had granola bars I'd have a sugary desserts. Um, Cause you know, to get 350 grams, you have to eat quite a bit. Totally. And uh, yeah, both dietitians told me I needed to eat more carbs. I needed to eat more often. And that, um, that made my running go from terrible to pretty much falling off a cliff. Like wow. I was getting cold sweats. I, I used to be able to run, you know, 16 to 18 miles at a time. I, I went out for three to five mile runs. And I just, I, I couldn't. I felt like I was trudging through quicksand. Like it was bad. Everything hurt. So yeah. Kind of the um to what I described, like you stated it with an epiphany, but the come to Jesus moment. I <laughs> I had a really long day at the hospital and I came home and I was just I was upset and I, I was like, I'm going to bed early. So I actually fell asleep early. But I woke up. I woke up around two in the morning and I was just having just searing muscle pain. Like it felt like my legs were on fire. And once yeah. again, like I've been an athlete for, since high school. So I'm very used to like soreness, but this right. was disproportionate. Right. So I was pacing the house and I took some ibuprofen and I was just, I don't know what to do. So at around two 30, I got in my car and I drove to seven 11 and I got like 30 pounds of ice and I came home and put it in the bathtub and I'm sitting in ice, you know, I'm trying to be quiet. So I don't wake up my wife. Um, but yeah, around 3am I'm, you know, I remember thinking like, what am I doing with my life? Like I'm crying. Oh my and my God. wife came in and um, she came in, she heard me and she just sat by the bathtub and was like, you know, maybe we should do something different. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> yeah. And that's when I said, I'm done. I'm not going to run anymore. This is, I, 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 this is, this is taking such a, you know, a toll on my, my physical body, on my relationship. I mean, I was short, I was in pain, I was frustrated. I was struggling at work. And so I thought like, you know, if I'm not going to, if I'm not going to run and compete, why not follow a lower carbohydrate diet? You know, I Mm -hmm. intuitively knew carbohydrates didn't make me feel great, Mm -hmm. but I was just so indoctrinated that everybody has to have carbohydrates, especially athletes. Oh yeah. If you are an
0: athlete, you got to be carb loading, like carbs are your main source of fuel. And it's, I think we know better than
1: that. Now everybody's so bio-individual and it was clear that it wasn't,
0: wasn't really serving you.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I certainly think there is some, some, some benefits when we can talk about this. You know, I'm not anti-carb. I certainly yep. use, I now use carbohydrates strategically versus, you know, uh, all encompassing. So right. yeah, I decided I was going to follow a ketogenic diet. And then I came across the carnivore, which is the all meat diet. And I remember thinking like, whoa, that is wild. Like I, <laughs> you know, the dietitian, I'm just told like you need plants, you need fiber, you need all this stuff, but meat is bad. You know, meat causes cancer. Yeah. Meat has- cancer, saturated fat will clog your arteries, salt will kill you. Um, but I would encourage anybody, you know, I, I was in pain, what I was doing was not working. And so I took some time to say like, okay, I, I went and got online and I saw people that were following ketogenic and carnivore diets. I'm like, wow, they look great. They look happy. I'm not happy. And so I reached out to several individuals. I, um, started digging into clinical trials. I was shocked, you know, and I, and I've been so fortunate to interview Dr. Westman that we now have more clinical trials on a low carb, high fat diet than any other diet out there. That's showing, amazing. Yeah, and we're sh- we- showing its efficacy; it works, sustainability, safety than any other diet out there. And uh, and I, we can even go into this. I think there's so much potential even for like you know, anxiety and mental illnesses and other things. So I told my wife, I'm like, all right, doing it. I'm going to do an all meat diet for 30 days, and uh, she was not having it you know, having had the history of an eating disorder, she was like, this is terrible. This is going to be dangerous. Yeah. And so we thought about it. She cried. I felt terrible. But then finally she's like, you know what? You're an adult. You're going to quit. This won't work. Do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, about a week into it, I remember, you know, my muscle pain was gone and that was fantastic, but I also wasn't running. So I was like, okay, well, who knows? But then I started to notice something that was really amazing. I, I, for the first time in years, I felt calm. Really, I wasn't hungry. And then, yeah, about the third week, my wife asked, asked me to come sit with her. And she's like, you know what? I don't know if I like this all meat diet yet, but this is the best your anxiety has been in the 11 years that I've known you. That is so, so interesting. Three weeks. And I was it's all, it was hard not to get angry. Yeah. I was, I was like, everything has everything I've been taught. You know, I have, I have a diabetic patients that have been suffering for 20 years. I have psychiatric patients that, you know, that decades. I know. And they're being given 75 grams of carbs a meal.
0: They can eat whatever they want, as long as it's within their thing. And, and we don't really, I don't think realize how food really impacts us down to like the mental, emotional level
1: like that. Exactly. And so, you know, that's when I really... Well, you know, it's kind of funny because when you, when you first get your health back, like I started to feel better. I started to, you know, I, I could go for hours at work. I used to eat every two to three hours. Yep. Have to oh, that's snack. what you're
0: supposed to do for a healthy metabolism. Every two to three hours. It's like, is that,
1: that is the worst advice. I mean, every time you eat specifically carbohydrates, you know, you get that blood glucose response. And what is, you have insulin. Insulin's a hormone that stores fat. So we're teaching people to store fat every few hours, right? Yeah. 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 I was definitely pegged as kind of the weird dietitian, You know, I'd go in in the morning and everyone's eating their oatmeal and bagels. And here I am with this like pound of beef. <laughs> They're like, "Whoa, that's different. Michelle's kind of different. Um, but people seem to kind of like rally around like, okay, she's doing her thing. Yeah, and that's then, awesome though. Yeah, I appreciate that. And then like, I was curious too. I was so curious about like, why, why is my mental health so much better? You know, wh- what is going on? And so that's when I really started to dig into the research of like Georgia E and Chris Palmer. And I was shocked. Like nobody, as a dietitian, nobody ever taught me about like insulin resistance in the brain. I had no idea that you can, you can get all your labs run. And I think this happens to a lot of people that are dealing with major depression or anxiety. And certainly like bipolar disorder, you get your labs run and everything comes back fine. So they just give you an antidepressant, maybe an antipsychotic. And you're going to send you to therapy or whatever, which I, I think therapy is great and wonderful, but that doesn't deal with the root cause. I mean, you can have insulin resistance in the brain and not have insulin resistance show up in the body. Yeah. And I think, the, I think the best way to think about that is to kind of bring it back to the disease epilepsy, like, okay. you, like babies, like you can be, you can be an infant and have epilepsy. So yeah. it's not like your bad diet gave you epilepsy, right? Like nobody's spiking infants milk with like high fructose corn syrup. But the babies were just born with a metabolic error in the brain. They cannot metabolize glucose well. So we put these babies on a very high-fat, low-carb diet. They no longer have seizures. Mm-hmm. So what the theory with some of these mental disorders and anxiety and bipolar disorder? You just are not able to. Met, your brain can't metabolize glucose, and it manifests differently for some people. With like major, uh, like schizophrenia, you might have visual or audio um, hallucinations. Some people might feel incredibly depressed. Some people might. Um, have OCD or anxiety, but I I've just been floored and amazed by the people I've interviewed for my channel and the research that I've dug into all these case studies of people reversing these, you know, mental conditions. Yeah. You know, I was like, I shared earlier, I was told this is something you'll have the rest of your life and to be free of anxiety, to be free of racing thoughts around food. Like, I mean, if you had told me that would be a side effect of this diet, I would not have believed you. (laughs) I would have, I would have been curious, but so, yeah. So then, you know, here I am um, now in the hospital, no more anxiety, feeling great, but I can't practice what I've learned. I'm told, look, Michelle, a low carb, high fat diet is not our standard of care. Don't talk about it. If you do, you'll be in trouble. And so it was hard. I mean, I'm seeing all kinds of patients that could benefit from this. You yeah. know, we have clinical, we actually have a clinical trial that we reverse diabetes in two weeks, type 2 diabetes with a low carb diet. Wow. Um, so that was my, di- I mean, that was part of my dilemma. So my book is called the dietitian Dilemma." what do I do right. now that my word and, uh, yeah, I guess my journey too. about uh, a little after a month of being on a fully zero carb, you know, meat-based diet, I, I was around more, I wasn't running. So, you know, my wife was like, okay, you're bothering me. You have too much energy, go for a run. And I kind of, I kind of freaked out I mean I hadn't run in such a long time Mm -hmm. and I was like well what if I fail I kind of had these visions of like oh I remembered what it was like the low blood sugar and trudging through mud and so I was like you know what I need to drop ego I'm gonna go jog it's fine and I left the house and came back eight miles later and that's when I was holy cow like what we were both like me and my wife what is going on so I reached out to Zach Bitter, who is the uh, current 100 mile world record holder, and he follows a very low carb diet. And, uh, you know, God bless our partners. My wife was like, This is great. You can be a recreational runner. We'll go to a trail. You can run a few miles. And I was like, What if I run an ultra marathon? Like, forget this 26 mile business. What if we run 50 miles or 100 miles? And uh, yeah, initially she wasn't quite on board with that. But um, yeah, so that's, that, that was kind of how that started.
0: Wow. That's absolutely amazing. And so when you were running, like, I know how you had mentioned before, you know, that you would like break out in sweat or you feel like shaky. And I feel like we, even as athletes, even though we're burning so many calories and like, we might not be overweight. Like, so I see so many people experience these hypoglycemic symptoms of like the shakiness in there. They can't sustain their run or their workout or their practice without like needing fuel. And I think that that's so interesting about being more of a fat adapted athlete. Like you obviously had become in those few weeks, you're know, not saying that you don't ever have to eat carbs ever, but I think so many athletes, we could be better if we could tap into that and not always think about, Oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of training. Like I need quick fuel right now. Um, I think that that's super, super interesting.
1: Yeah. Becoming fat adapted has been, for me, one of the greatest and most incredible things as an athlete. And I wish I learned about this when I was a much younger athlete and you really nailed it. I think like, as a, you know, anybody from, you know, you're playing like a soccer game or a softball game or something, you know, we're just taught that you constantly have to be taking in sugar. And when you're doing that, you're, you're preventing your body from burning fat for fuel. Like we all have limited glycogen stores. Like, you know, you can only, and that's why you hit the wall on a marathon, right? You can only, you only have about they think about 20,000 calories, enough to run about 20 miles, but we have virtually unlimited stores of fat, even people yeah. who are super, super lean. Yep. And here's another thing. I mean, people who are, you'll see athletes and other people who are overweight, but they'll get hyper, they'll get hypoglycemic. You know, they have to keep taking, if you're taking in these sugars, it's almost like, I mean, it's great for marketing. If you're a processed food or a Gatorade or a sugar company, because once you take them in, you have to keep taking them. You have to them. keep going. Exactly. It's like it, this last, I'm oh, sorry, guys. Oh, no, no, keep going. I was going to say, so I did, um, I'm traveling tomorrow, so I wanted to get in a couple of runs before that. So yesterday I did three hours, so I did 22 miles, and then today I did 15, and I, you know, I did it, I take, um, I take S fuels, so I take this, actually I have it sitting next to me, so it's got, uh, it's got 50 calories and one gram of carb, I took one before my run, my 22 mile run, and I just took water, you know, and electrolytes. And, and why, why is that? Why do I not need to take sugar every 30 or 40 minutes is because my body is burning fat. I'm able to stay nice and level. Mm-hmm. And when you do that too, you're not pulling all that, um, you know, you're not pulling all the, the glycogen from your muscles and liver. So I recover faster. Exactly. You know, it, most people can't run 20 miles one day and come back and run 60 the next. And I'm not running. I'm not, I'm. you know, I'm not, I'm not like yeah uh, elite 5k. I'm not running five minute miles, but I'm running about, you know, 745 to eight minute pace. So That's amazing. Thank
0: That's you. That's pretty elite to me.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. So, and you know, when I did my, um, when I did my ultra and I ran, um, it was a six hour race. So the goal is who can run it's 5k loops, the most loops in six hours. Um, and I, I won the race. I ran 44.63 miles. So that was an wow. 804. And, you know, took in minimal carbohydrates, you know, I think, I think we figured it was like 75 for the six hours. Wow. Where, you know, a lot of athletes is like, you know, 50 to 75 an hour. Right. <laughs> but because of that, you know, what happens? One, I, I never ran out of energy no, at no point in the race. Did I think like, oh, I'm going to get that dizzy, shaky feeling. Do you, am I human? Yes. dude. my muscles hurt? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But you know, I knew as long as like, I could continue to run, I would be fine. And um, and you also don't have that GI issue, man. When you're taking in all yep. that sugar, it can really mess up your gastrointestinal system. So
0: totally. And I I think this is super important because. Like I remember personally, you know, when I wasn't fat adapted and I was playing college softball, like I'd be in the middle of a practice and I'd have to like pitch and I'd throw a bullpen or whatever. And I would literally run to the locker room to grab like a cliff bar or a protein bar because I would like, I'd feel like I'm sweating and I'm like, I got to go get fuel. And then I'd get my fuel in and I'd be better. But now being fat adapted, like I can go out and train, I can do a CrossFit workout. I can go for a run. I can be walking the dog. We can be out hiking a high peak and I'm not even thinking about that constant intake, i fuel when i do eat and i think that that's important for athletes to obviously be able to do that and i'm sure you do after your runs but like like you said we're not constantly thinking about food and i'm able to use my body fat for fuel which that is something that most people really cannot do.
1: Exactly. You I mean you nailed it. When i was even in college i and even being very, you know, obviously very lean, like i remember one time our practice um got pushed out an hour. And I was freaking out. I'm like, I'm gonna have to get a granola bar before we get going. Or I'm not gonna, you know, my blood sugar is going to start to crash. Like, that's how, that's how unfat adapted I was at that time. Right. So Mm -hmm. unfortunately, so many athletes are, you know, their performance, they're constantly consuming a lot of carbohydrates. And when you're really young, and maybe you're lean, perhaps that's not a, the end of the world metabolically, meaning you're not going to get type two diabetes or whatever. But that's not great for performance. Like we're just doing performance. That's not good for that. And then certainly as you get older, you know, I've seen, I've worked with lots of women. I mean, people who are running marathons who are overweight. It's like, you know, if it's calories in, calories out, if you're running 50 miles a week, you shouldn't be overweight. But what, what are they doing? Just like you said, they are taking in sugar before, sugar during, sugar all day, entire day. You're suppressing your body's ability to burn fat. Yeah. And so by taking, by taking the time and taking the opportunity to really pull back on carbs, following a very low carb, higher fat, higher protein diet. You, you train your body. And over time, you can actually burn more fat for fuel, even at faster paces. I mean, that's what Zach and some of the others uh, proved in the faster study. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's my goal is just to be able to continue to to push my body, you know, to to burn fat for fuel. And then certainly um, Like I said, using carbs strategically, I certainly do use them for for race day and for really really long or intense workouts. But do so you it's use a- them
0: more like pr- do you use them pre or intra? Like, do you ever use them post to refuel muscle muscle glycogen or not as much?
1: Not really. I mean, I don't really use even pre because you know I, I want to kind of avoid that that blood glu- the the blood glucose spike. Yeah. So, like I said, that's S fuel has one gram of carbs. It's got more fat and protein than. <laughs> that's really you know. cool. What is what's the form of fat? Is it MCT? um I believe so it is uh coconut oil and then collagen oh cool yeah so I mean coconut oil is a medium chain triglyceride so yeah and um it's got glutamine and electrolytes all that good stuff too yeah
0: because electrolytes are a huge thing with that especially like keeping blood sugar nice and stable
1: Yes. That's something I would tell anybody who's interested in a low carbohydrate diet is mm-hmm. make sure you're supplementing, especially as athletes, make sure you're supplementing with electrolytes. Um, I'm a big fan of Rob Wolf has that LMNT. It's a, a high salt, potassium, magnesium, especially when I'm doing really long endurance efforts. If it's hot, you know, I think it can be really good to get extra electrolytes.
0: Definitely. And one thing I've noticed, cause I've been wearing a CGM for a few weeks, um, is that like, if I do get, if I do intense exercise, like today, I just went for a quick run. And then I went in the sauna and there was like two little spikes there, but like, I made sure to like replenish my electrolytes. But when my electrolytes are replenished before, I don't see, I don't necessarily see
1: the spikes as much. Um, have you ever worn a continuous glucose monitor? It's so funny. I was having a conversation with someone right before I came on here. Now I personally have it. I would love to, Oh um, my God. so cool. It's so, it is. Cool. It is so it's, cool to get that feedback. I would love to know what it's like. Um, you know, like yesterday when I had, you know, the three hour run and then you come back and you're working and, um, but yeah, yeah. I, I, am hopeful to, to try that. Cause I think that would be interesting data, just feedback for myself for sure. Totally.
0: I, and that's what I've learned is like, I can really gauge my workouts by intensity of like, okay, like how is there a spike? Where is it? Like, how do I feel after Does my glucose stay pretty stable? Like it's just, it's really cool information. And I feel like with, especially with the amount of miles that you put on, to be able to see like how your body's responding to the stress. Cause that's a whole another thing. It's like one day I was totally stressed, just a day of patients, and I had so much going on and the roads were horrible. And I was like, ah, my blood glucose was like so much. It was like 20 points higher. I'm typically in the low eighties. And it was like constantly at like higher nineties all day. It was the weirdest thing, but it's crazy how these environmental factors impact that, which that's kind of a whole separate thing that has nothing to do with diet. But I think that, That all that is super important. Um okay, talk to us a little bit about what your diet currently looks like.
1: (laughs) Sure. So um right now I'm in, you know, my my training kind of goes through phases, like because I have a race coming up in June. My race is in June. So usually what we do for training is we Do like the least race specific stuff is earlier, Mm -hmm. meaning so since I'm running a really long race, it doesn't necessarily make sense for me to be doing a lot of speed work like closer to the race, right? We want to be doing more like long stuff. So I'm kind of in that period where I'm just transitioning out. I think I have one or two more weeks of like a little bit faster stuff and tempo stuff. So my volume is about 60 to 70. I mean, we'll get up closer to almost 90 miles a week when we're really, really heavy. So, you know, I'll wake up in the morning. I, I, most of the time I'd say 95 to 98% of the time train in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, just because for me, one, you're, you're coming off being fasted, which I think is really great for fat adapted. And two, it's just like, you know, you never know what the day is going to bring. So let's, let's go. (laughs) Let's knock this out. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, you know, I drink coffee. I'll have coffee with either half and half or heavy cream in the morning. And then I have, like I said, I have the s fields train. Um, I don't, they have another product called Race that has uh, 15 grams of carbs. And I'll only use that if we're doing like really high intensity a- um, activity, but I won't even use it until about an hour in. Cause once again, I, d- I want to avoid that blood glucose spike. Yeah. But most of the time, like we'll just take today. Um, so today I, well actually let's take yesterday since it, we're not quite done today. <laughs> so yesterday I got a coffee s fields train and then I had my three hour run. And so I do have um, a fuel belt. So, you know, I have usually I have water on one electrolytes on the other. Yep. Yeah. And as soon as I'm done running, I'll come back. And I always tell people, you know, this has nothing to do with nutrition, but I think this is often overlooked. And I mean, you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier when I, when I come in from running, I want to take a few minutes, to just get my heart rate down because our stress mm-hmm. levels are pretty high. Right. You know, Yeah, especially you know that- when
0: you're running, like our body doesn't get yeah. like it thinks that we're running from a tiger for like three hours. So we got to like, yeah. bring it down a little bit.
1: Bring it down. Take a few. Cause I've seen so many people like, you know, when they're done running, it's like, okay, I run, a, grab food and shower and not have work. And I'm like, I hear you. Like I, I've, I've been running late to work many times, but it's like, if you can, I have a, I have a 16 year old chow shepherd that I love. So I'll come in, I'll stretch, I'll love on her, you know, just, to, and it's not like you have to take a, you know, an hour, just take a few minutes to kind of like deep breathe, you know, show your body, get that, get your heart rate down. Mm-hmm. So I'll do that. And um and then I always feel like kind of the clock kind of starts. It's like, okay, now I've gotta like, you know, get some fluid shower and get to work within usually an hour or an hour and a half. So um, you know, depending on if it's hot or whatever, I'll either have more electrolytes. Oops. Okay, I'll there have like more sorry, last for a second, right. more electrolytes. Um, usually shower and in the morning I I mean I eat a lot of beef. Beef is my main, main um protein. Awesome. You know, so I usually have about half a pound to three quarters of a pound. We get a cow share from a farmer. Nice. Um, so that's really nice. And so it's nice to like, you know, we get this like t- huge thing. We, we have a freezer in the basement. Um, so yeah, in the morning I have beef. It's once again, it's totally different than how I used to eat. You know, I used to have oatmeal. I have beef and butter. Um, usually I have one more cup of coffee or tea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then almost always in the morning, I will have some carbohydrates, whether it's I tolerate berries really well, have some blueberries. My wife makes long fermented sourdough bread, so either or of those. Um, and then in the afternoon, you know, kind of depending on when I get a break, I will just have, it's almost like the same thing, but just the meat. Like I'll have another half a pound of beef um, and that's kind of flexible if we have salmon left over yeah. or pork. I worked at a place called Scratch Meats when I, um, after I left the, the dietetics world. So got lots of, you know, meat and salmon and stuff. So Oh, so great. So just another piece of meat another piece of you know a good quality source of protein amino acids and fat um and then and you're doing like I, a
0: fatty cut of meat like you're not just doing like 90 10 or 95 okay. 5 like lean you're doing so like the fat
1: is, if fat is possible we actually yeah. request um extra fat like you know close <laughs> to 70 30 is possible
0: so it's it, so much it's, better
1: oh it's so good and and sometimes, you know, like if we get, if we end up with leaner cuts of meat, then I'll have to add, like we make our own tallow so we can add oh, tallow. Oh, so cool. In, and we can add butter back in. I mean, we go through a lot of butter it's but
0: Same, Same. <laughs> like the amount of times I'm putting like grass-fed butter on the grocery list is out of control. Right.
1: Yes. It's not and a that, problem it, that I'm
0: upset about though.
1: Right. Exactly. And then I also should say, I do at least twice a week, I'll have liver. Nice. Um, That's something I particularly enjoy. I would say, you know, I enjoy my meals. I enjoy ground beef, steak, pork, Mm -hmm. but, but I do think it's important. And I do think a small amount of that is really the, I mean, the iron, the folate, the zinc. Um, Yeah. And so, I mean, that's breakfast, lunch is the same, just to just meat. I don't have the carbs at lunch and then dinner, I kind of backload. So I have a really pretty large dinner um three-fourths to a pound of meat something most of the time beef mm-hmm. always have a piece of sourdough bread lots of butter and then sometimes we have a vegetable my wife likes uh lettuce I sometimes have some carrots mm-hmm. and that's it I mean it's kind of boring like people are like oh that's a lot of beef but it's uh it's worked out so well I enjoy it I feel satiated yeah. um and the more research I've done on, on beef specific or ruminant animals I mean some people don't mm-hmm. like beef but bison uh lamb is just there's it's not just protein right it's the same folate the b12 the carnosine the carnitine um all these different you know trace minerals um my recovery is so good my muscle recovery is good I don't have carb cravings the only time I notice if I'm craving something like oh I'm really having a sugar craving most of the time I found that I'm either low on electrolytes or I just need more calories super interesting cause as you, I'm sure, you know, as an athlete, like, you know, if I'm running, you know, getting up to running five hours at a time, like you burn a lot of calories and you may not make up for that so the next yep. day. Sometimes it's like, almost it's just surprising how much I can eat sometimes like, Oh, I guess having two pounds of you for breakfast, you know, but uh. <laughs> I know. And
0: I, and sometimes I feel like I, for me personally, I try to like stop eating after dinner. Like I have kind of like, I, I do kind of bouts of intermittent fasting. And so like, if I'm still hungry, I'm like, Oh, what the heck? But then I look down and I'm like, Oh yeah, today's workout was super, super intense. And I don't quite know that I ate enough. So then I'll eat some like more healthy protein and fat. And I do try to do like some electrolyte, whether it's just salt in my water or something. And that really does help. Like so much of the time I really just do need more of that. And that's so interesting. I think it's important to kind of be like, why are we getting these cravings in the first place? And I think that's an important place to look for sure.
1: Yeah, I just saw an inter- um, interview for my channel with the guy from Redmond Sea Salt and just learned so much more about salt and how it, it's just such an essential, you know, part of of, of the body of our, what we need. And it's so sad that it's been demonized and you know, I know. Obviously meat has been demonized and um, fat has been demonized when all these things actually make a really healthy human.
0: I know it's it's so funny because when I'm doing con- consults with people and, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I think they're lacking trace minerals. I'm like, do you eat any red meat? And they're like, no, like I've, I only do lean chicken or, you know, fish. And I was like, okay, like, is there a reason that you don't do the meat? And, you know, we're just, everybody demonizes it. And it's, it's, I think that it's really important to get it from a sustainable place. You know, I'm really huge on grass fed, grass finished, supporting local farmers, all that kind of stuff. But I don't quite know where these things came in, where it's like, meat is bad meat causes. I don't understand. Like, I don't, I'm confused that that's still the narrative after how many people it's gotten better, you know?
1: Yeah, there's still, there's just a lot of dogma around it. And there was a lot of really, you know, bad science. And mm-hmm. um, I think some things were repeated over and over and over again. And I mean, at this juncture in history, there's a movement that everybody should be plant-based. Plants are great, eat plants, eat as many plants as possible. And like, it was never taught to me as a dietitian that a lot of plants have anti-nutrients. Yes. And you know, what does that mean? Um, things like oats, seeds, and nuts have phytic acid and those bind to calcium and iron. I was severely anemic in 2011 to the point where I literally fell asleep on my keyboard and typed an 11 page email of the word S with my face. And I had to get, I had to get iron IVs, but, and I was eating meat, but I was eating so much Mm plants. You know, our body is, you know, I'm not anti-plant. I'm not anti-carbohydrate but they should be a small part of our diet. We were really designed, humans absorb the nutrition, you know, from meat and fat, you know, yeah. we're not about bioavailability, right? What does that mean? You know, it's, I always like to use the example of like steak and spinach, you mm-hmm. know, if, if, if a cup of spinach has, you know, 15% of my daily iron, but I can only absorb like 1.7% of it like that's not good. That's not helpful. That's not useful. And then of course, spinach also has oxalates. But I, I tell people, if you the equivalent of like, I wrote you a thousand dollar check and you're like, Oh my God, thousand dollars. And you go to cash it. And I have $17 in my bank account. Like it doesn't matter. Like what, what, what I, what it says it has, it matters what you can actually use. And absorb, Right. Yeah. It's only
0: so, the nutrition that we take in is only as good as we absorb it. And I think that that's so important is because like you said, the, the vitamins and minerals and all of the components in animal products and fats, like they are there to help us absorb. And I think that the thing about around plants is super interesting because, you know, I do eat, I do eat certain plants and I try to eat seasonal, but like the anti-nutrients is really important. And like, there's a plant kind of like spectrum, right? Like there's certain plants, like you said, spinach, I used to load spinach and everything, but like it depletes you of certain minerals and you have to kind of cook it like, um, like the ancient wisdom. Um, what's the word? Um, Oh God, I can't think of it, but to kind of like fix the you can, spinach and cream was like one of the things, right? You oh know.
1: yeah. You have to like soak and sprout and do all this yeah. other stuff. And, and, it's,
0: are- and that, I think that's so interesting because we think that we're doing the right thing, adding raw kale to our smoothie every day. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's so many oxalates and that they have their own kind of compounds. And I'm not saying that like we're bad if we're eating things like that. I didn't know these things, but like, there is, there is this spectrum of nutrients that, you know, we have to, that's why your you know, your wife so it does sourdough bread because fermenting the grains is so much different than just regular whole grains, right? There's a huge difference in the nutrition profile that you're getting. And we don't really have that issue when we're talking about meat or liver or anything like we can absorb so much more of that.
1: Yep. You nailed it. And I think most people, I think that most people understood, I think most people eat a lot of vegetables because they think it's just universally good for you. Like this mm-hmm. kale, this spinach, where it's almost like, it seems blasphemous to be like, that can actually hurt you. And mm-hmm. it's not normal. I really, it really frustrates me that we've normalized a lot of things like, Oh, my joints hurt. Oh, I'm bloated. Oh, I have, you know, diarrhea, constipation, IBS, like these things are not normal, you nope. know, like, it's, I always say, like, if you're walking down the street and all of a sudden, you know, you had a severe pain in your leg, you wouldn't just be like, meh, you know, <laughs> it's not, it's not normal. And plants, you know, every, nothing wants to be eaten, right? Every species, like from animal to plant wants to survive, but continue right. its life. And animals run away. Plants can't, they're rooted into the ground. So they've developed a host of defense mechanisms. Some of those being very toxic, all the you know, the oxalates and, um, you know, lectins and tannins, uh, yes. other things that are in plants. And like you said, and like I said, like, you know, there are certain things we can do to them to make them more digestible and absorbable, but it it is my advocacy that they should be a very small part of your diet. It should be strategic, you know, depending on your metabolic health and your goals. Um, And yeah, most people, a lot of people do really well with having them being either completely eliminated from their diet or very, like I said, just, you know, it should be per tolerance, I guess. Totally, totally. And I think
0: that, you know, when we think back to, to more like how we evolved, like we didn't have spinach 12 months out of the year. Like it literally only grows maybe two months out of the year. Like it really is not. So these things, even though we might've been eating them, we weren't eating them all year. Like we are now, like you can go to the grocery store and you can get whatever you want. I'm really a huge proponent of trying to eat seasonally whenever possible, because like, that's just how we evolved, right? Like in the winter, there's not that much around. Like maybe I'll dabble in some more squash or like rooted vegetables. But like so much of what we do is like, more meat and fat, because that's just what we would have had. And I'm not perfect. Like I will still get things from the store, but like, we weren't meant to eat kale every single day, 12 months a year. We weren't meant to eat these things all day, 12 months a year, because they would have been cyclical in our diet. Right. And so I think that that's also a super, super interesting point around that. And I think that that is important. Like We don't realize that because it's just abundantly available to us whenever we want it, right? Things are available.
1: Food is available everywhere, processed foods specifically, right? And also, um, plants today look nothing like they did throughout evolution. You know, plants were very small, very bitter, very low in carbohydrates. You know, for example, you know, carrots maybe had one to two grams of carbs and were super, super bitter, where now it's like your carrot can have seven to eight to 10 grams of carbs. And it's, you know, t- tastes sweet and it's orange and bright. So, I mean, things have changed as we've crossbred and hybridized different, you know, plants. So, but I hear you. Yeah. I think eating seasonal is smart. I think mostly focusing on meat and fat is smart. And I think just being very wary of any, any type of processed or packaged food. For
0: oh, sure. totally. I mean, I'm constantly, people are always sending me things like, cause I, I talk a lot about vegetable oils and people are like, Oh my God, my granola has vegetable oil or, Oh my God, this has this. And I'm like, Yeah. Like they're, these companies make them incredibly palatable. They make them as cheap as possible. They're not making them with your health in mind. They're like, how can I make this quote unquote health food, cheap, easy, but super palatable so that you'll keep eating it and buying it because big food it's an industry, right? Like they want you to continuously be a customer. Whereas like when you eat whole foods, like you and I, you don't, those foods don't even, they're like almost over I don't even know the right word, like over palatable, like they just taste incredibly not consistent to what we should be eating, but we're, we're, we're addicted to them. And I think that, like you said earlier, if it was as simple as calories in calories out, I think we're, I think we've been doing that for a while and I don't think it's working. I like 75% of our population is overweight or obese. It's I, there's a lot of people who count calories who aren't seeing any change.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's it's just absurd to think that, you know, 400 calories of a donut has the same effect as 400 calories of a steak. They have different changes in hormonal, you know, responses in your body. But yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you nailed it. And I think it's a big problem and a big conflict of interest that the Academy of Nutrition, which is the governing board of all dietitians, which tells me what education I'm going to have, what continuing education and what I can advocate is sponsored by uh, PepsiCo, Frito Lay, ConAgra, General Mills, Kellogg's. Um, used to be sponsored by coke Betty crocker soy joy so yeah all so it's a uh, top match uh, health foods <laughs> Oh, yeah when you think of health i think of man i want a fetsico and a big bag of chips that's what a too. but you know i think that we can talk about that too it's just the, the goofy concept of moderation it's like nobody knows what that means it's arbitrary it's ambiguous it keeps people sick and the body can't moderate processed carbohydrates it, it changes not only your um your body chemistry you know that glucose and insulin response but it also changes it literally changes your brain chemistry like yes. you said it keeps coming back from more it shifts you know you get a spike of dopamine so you eat these you know cookies and you're like oh i feel good but it also changes um glutamate this is a neurotransmitter mm-hmm. we don't talk about very often but it can actually make the glutamate go up to 100 times the normal level in your brain and what does that do that can actually prevent your body from engaging in neuroplasticity i'm sorry your brain from engaging in neuroplasticity. And if your brain can't engage in neuroplasticity, you can't cope with stress. So now we have wow. people, eating a lot of processed foods that are, you know, stressed out. We are living in a stressful time right now. And you can't cope with, people are eating processed foods to try to cope because they feel terrible, but their brain can't cope with stress. And they're, you know, it's this horrible cycle. And oh my once gosh. They, they know this, like, yeah. this is not like hidden, whatever information. This is how we keep you addicted. Because guess what? As soon as you get that dopamine crash, you come back for more. Right. So.
0: That's so interesting. And I think so many people feel so bad because, you know, they'll come to me and they're like, I just don't have any willpower. Like when this food is in the house, I just can't stop. And I'm like, that's not your fault. That is literally like what that food is meant to do. It's like cigarettes. Like you, you start smoking and you get addicted to the nicotine and you just keep going back for more and big food and sugar. And these really hyper palatable ingredients are the same exact way. Right? Like that wouldn't be an industry if, if you weren't continuously addicted to it. And so I think that's really difficult for people. And I always say like, the best thing you can do is really try not to buy it, which I know is easier said than done. But I, especially in this world with this pandemic, when we know that metabolic health is so tied to this virus, but like I've seen people's grocery carts and I really try not to judge, but I'm just like, oh my gosh. But then these people are petrified, right? Like they're petrified of this virus, but their grocery cart is loaded with like Fruity Loops and fruit snacks (laughs) and granola. And it's like, you're really
1: you're right. You're right. And, and I and that's another thing. I, I think we, I, as a dietitian, I was often told too that it's the patient's fault. The patients are not following. The patients lack willpower. The patients are lazy. The patients are eating all this crappy food. And you're a thousand percent right. It is not the patient's fault. And I would love anyone who's hearing this. Like you don't have a lack of willpower. You're not a moral failure you're not, it's not because of your genetics. It's because you were given the wrong information about what you're supposed to eat. Mm -hmm, And you're mm -hmm. also right. People are terrified to leave their house. And when they do, they get Doritos and Froot Loops. Like Mm -hmm, if we mm -hmm. could, if we could have this conversation that like, look guys, metabolic health matters. Like we need to get our nation healthier. Uh, meat and fat is delicious. If everybody eats meat and fat and they would balance, we would, we would reverse diabetes in this country within months. We would, we'd be a mentally healthier society. We would do all these things. This you know, we're, we cited in the book, we have research that if you're diabetic or you have kidney failure or metabolic dysfunction, you're significantly more likely to have complications with COVID. So yeah, you're right. We're having the wrong conversation and we have totally disempowered people. Like people, I mean, the food industry is kind of one in the fact that people are just confused. They're like, whatever, I'm just going to eat the cake. I just, I don't know. This person says this, this person. If we could just get the consistent fact-based message, then I think we would really be able to move forward.
0: Oh, I totally agree. And I think that's, what's confusing is because so many people come to me and they're like, I follow this person who says like that these ingredients don't matter. And it just matters that you hit this. But then I follow this person who says this and like, there is, there's a lot of different confusion. And I think that's why these types of conversations are really important because I think that taking in this different information is, or this information that might be different than what people are hearing is important because then it can, I think it's really, because then you can sit there and think, okay, I'm an educated person. I have a bunch of different opinions. What do I think? Or let me try this and see how I feel. Right. I think that that's super, super important. And back to your point of satiety, like I, Nick, my husband and I, we were talking about this. We had like, we got this butcher box rack of ribs and it was amazing. And we were both sitting there and we're like, this is so good, but I am so unbelievably satisfied and full. Like I couldn't eat anymore. But if you put a pizza in front of me, or you put a cake in front of me, I will not stop. I, my body doesn't know when to stop. Um, because we have those sensors are turned off. Like I feel incredibly satiated when I eat the food that contains all the nutrients that I need, the fat, the protein, you know, when to stop, right? Like if you eat steak, you are, you know, when to stop, but when the dessert comes, you're like, that's weird. I have so much extra room and I can eat this whole thing. Right. So yeah. I think, I think what you said about that is really important. And I see so many people, especially in the fitness world, fitness coaching, they're like, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. You're not counting your calories. Like it's your fault. You're lazy or whatever. And it's like, I mean, maybe people aren't doing the work as good as they should be, but like they're also eating every two to three hours. They're also probably insulin resistant. They have these cravings and they don't understand that these ingredients in the food are impacting their physiology And so it keeps them coming back for more. So it's this perpetual cycle. So like you said, it's not their fault. And I think, I think it's really hopefully empowering if people are listening to that to be like, Oh, thank God. Like I have actually the power to kind of take control over these things. And, um, you know, it definitely, I feel like goes against some of the status quo of what information is out there, but
1: (laughs) most dietitians will tell you that carbs are great, eat sugar in moderation, all this stuff. I mean, and that's why I wrote that dietitian's dilemma. And that's why you know, I have a chapter on getting started. I have 25 testimonies and I wanted people to, like you said, I ask these questions. So, cause I want people to make up their own mind. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. going to tell you what to do. I'm going to present the evidence. There's 180 clinical trials if you're interested in that. But I think we truly like learn through our stories. Like, here's my story. Here's other people's stories. Here's people who have lost, you know, most people in that book and my book have lost and gained tons of weight using these low fat diets, slim, fast weight watchers, all this stuff. It wasn't until they ate in a way that aligned with human physiology. Every species has a species-specific diet. I have a dog, a tortoise, and four chickens. You better believe the tortoise eats very different than the dog, right? You know, Gertie gets all these leafy greens. Gertie's the tortoise. Um, And and then then Callie, Callie's my dog. I mean, she eats meat and liver, right? And we don't question that. But then we, if if I fed Gertie, if I fed her, I don't know, ox.
0: Okay, you guys. Well, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Sorry, my sound quality was a little off. I was probably messing with some of the buttons before, so it doesn't sound as crisp, but the information is important and that's all that matters. I do try to make my sound quality as good as possible. Sometimes with interviews, I'm still working on it, but, um, I really am interested to see what you guys thought. Um, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. So if you guys have any questions or anything, you know, where to find me, you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Haley Shoff. You can shoot me an email. Um, But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next week.